This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn for the last time in our series entitled Magnify Jesus to the book of Philippians chapter number 4. We have uh, finally come to our final message in this series. Uh, We've been working on it since the beginning of last year. 61 messages it's taken us to get through the book of Philippians, but we made it. And so I hope it's been a blessing and encouragement to you. Four chapters, but so much good encouragement practical Christian living that we find in the book of Philippians. And uh, today we kind of boil it down to the end. Uh, Paul, throughout this chapter or throughout this, uh, this book, has written to the church uh, and encouraged them to continue their work, keep up the good work, keep doing what you're doing, uh, make sure that you stay content in who Christ is. And he continues again and again to bring it back to the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And Paul thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. Uh, He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, that they strive together for the faith of the gospel. And everything comes back to getting the gospel to the world. uh, Because that's the mission of the church. That's what we're taking a look at today. We've entitled today's message, The Sharing of the Great Commission. We're going to take a look at how we get Jesus Christ to the world. I'm going to ask our ushers, if you would, uh, grab these commitment cards. If you would put these in the hand of one per family. You might have yours from last week if you have the Baptist filing system. You know what the Baptist filing system is? Open the back of your Bible, put stuff in it, close it. Uh, That's the Baptist filing system. You might still have yours in your Baptist filing system. If you do, no need to grab one. But uh, if you need one of these from our ushers, we need one per family. Uh, Take one of these as our ushers come by uh, this morning. I grab one of those from We're going to take a look at this later uh, in the message. So you need to have one of these to refer back to in just a moment. But grab one of those. Also, you should have gotten last week, if you didn't get one, grab one from our ushers on their way out today, uh, a copy of our missionary card that we have of all the four missions projects that we support, uh, where, they, where they serve, and how we can pray for them. And so grab one of those uh, today on your way out if you did not already. I hope you'll put that in your Bible, maybe where you do your devotions, maybe in a prayer journal that you have. Maybe put it on the fridge so that every time you walk through the kitchen, uh, you're reminded to pray for our missionaries. Uh, because they're doing an excellent work of getting the gospel around the world, and we get to partner together with them. Philippians chapter 4, we find ourselves uh, at the end of uh, Philippians. Paul, as he's closing out his letter, he thanks the church at Philippi once again. Hey, you knew that I had a need. You sent to that need. Uh, you, you've given even Epaphroditus, as I've been in prison, you've given Epaphroditus as he came to visit, uh, a gift to give to me, and I'm appreciative of that. And then he kind of closes out uh, the, the letter from there. We take some practical uh, application from that. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse number 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. In other words, you sent me uh, what I needed when I needed it. Verse number 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once again unto my necessity. Hey, even after he left the church at Philippi, where he was pastoring, when he would be different places, even in Thessalonica, the church of Philippi would send him uh, a financial gift to help in the work of the gospel. Verse number 17, he says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that it may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, an odor of sweet-smelling sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Verse number 18, you sent a gift via Epaphroditus. I received it, and it pleased the Lord. Verse number 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint. That word saint means uh, those Christians that are with you. In Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me greet you. And all the saints or all the Christians salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As Paul goes through this letter, it kind of, again, it comes back to, again and again, the gospel. Uh, the Greek word that's used for the word gospel that Paul uses here is the Greek word euangelion, which means good news, good tidings, good message. 
And so when we think of the gospel, the gospel literally means good news. And it's the good news that Jesus Christ died in place of sinners. No better message that we can share today uh, as the church. And as this good news is propagated, Paul says, thank you for partnering together with me in the gospel. And if you go back to uh, Philippians chapter 1, really kind of the theme verse that we had for 2020 and the theme verse for this series, Magnified Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 20. I love this. Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, all I want from my life is for Jesus Christ to be magnified. All I want when I die is for Jesus Christ to be magnified. Now, it's interesting the word magnified. Generally, we think of magnification as we think of uh, taking something as small and making it appear bigger. Uh, for example, one of our children's ministry workers today says, uh, Pastor, this verse, I'm going to blow it up on the copier so that the kids can read it. And I looked at it and I go, I think the kids can read that just fine. I think it's you that can't read it. And she said, okay, fine. I'll blow it up for myself. Okay, do that then. Uh, but that was magnification, taking something that's small and making it appear bigger. Friend, you and I cannot make Jesus appear larger than he already is. We don't even have the words in the English language to describe the magnitude of who Jesus Christ is. We could not begin to describe the majesty of Christ. And so we're not taking Christ who is small and making him appear bigger. So when Paul says, I want Christ to be magnified in my life, he's saying, I want Christ to be so visible that no one could possibly miss him. I want to make him appear to everyone that sees my life, whether Christ be magnified in my life or by my death. This just goes to show that Paul has the appropriate perspective for life. We, remember, we've been talking about perspective over the last several weeks. We're not here to enjoy life for us. We're not here to get what we can get from life. We're not even here on this earth to enjoy our time here. We're here to magnify Jesus Christ. We're here to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. That's why we exist. We're a part of the body of Christ, the church. And the church is a unique uh, organization, if you want to use that term. The body of Christ is one of the only things that God himself instituted. God instituted marriage, God instituted government, and God instituted the church. The, the local church belongs to Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, when we begin to run afoul of biblical understanding is when we think that any man is the head of the church. So any church that has a religious structure where there's a man at the top of the flow chart, you can automatically assume that is not a biblical church. Because the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. Now, well, okay, there's Christ, and then there's the pastor, and then there's everybody else. No, when you look at the flow chart, there is Christ and the servants of Christ. That's the only thing in the flow chart. Flow chart's really pretty flat. Everybody, Christ is the head. That's how it works. And so because of that, Jesus, because he's the head of the church, gets to determine the direction of the church, gets to determine the mission of the church, gets to determine how the church actually functions. And so, again, where do we find that? We find it always in Scripture and the Bible. And so when it comes to the mission of the church, it's really important that we don't get this wrong because if we miss the mission, we miss out on everything that the church is about. And Jesus is the one that gave the church its mission. Those of us that have served in the military know that mission is really important. We, we talk about things like mission readiness and, you know, uh, making sure that we have, uh, we're, uh, somebody was talking last week, we've got to make sure that all the, everybody's checked off green uh, in this readiness uh, that we have. Why? Because the mission is the most important. If we fail our mission, we failed as an organization. That applies to the military, but that applies so much more to Jesus' church. If we fail in the mission, we fail as an organization. But here's the problem. The majority of people who attend church don't even know what the mission is. Maybe the mission is to gather together once a week. 
Maybe the mission is to sing songs. Maybe the mission is to sit and be entertained. Maybe the mission is to just be kind to your neighbor. For those that would think that that's the mission of the church, you've completely and totally missed on why the church exists. Jesus says in all four Gospels and the book of Acts that the church exists to make Jesus known to the entire world. Matthew chapter 28 is the first time we see what's referred to as the Great Commission. Again, it's repeated in all four Gospels and the book of Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Jesus says, Matthew 28, verse number 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. That's the Great Commission. If you wanted to summarize it, you could use four words. Go, win, baptize, teach. That's the Great Commission summed up. So for we as a, as a church, what do we do? We share our faith. We share Jesus with people every single week. Uh, you have, uh, in the back track racks, we have these uh, invite cards that we have here. You seen these before? If you haven't, shame on you. Uh, but these are by the, every exit door when you leave. You can't walk past an exit door without seeing these. Because not only does it say on the front, Jesus, the hope you've been searching for, not only on the back does it have a, a picture of probably one of the most uh, uh, handsome pastors I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but that receives no amens. Um, anyways, not only does it have our church times, location, website address, things like that, it has the gospel. If you just gave this card to someone, there's enough of the Bible on here for them to put their faith and trust in Christ and be saved. That's a big deal. That makes this little four by six card invaluable because this has the gospel. So you know what we do? Everywhere we go, we hand these out. Uh, if we go to a restaurant, we put this in with the bill along with a generous tip. Uh, when we go to Long's, uh, the lady at the cash, cashier stand, I say, hey, I know you're really busy, but I want to give you this. Set it to the side. Read it whenever you get a chance. I want to take a plate of cookies to my neighbor and put one of these on top of it. Uh, at Christmas time, we take gifts to the businesses uh, around our church with, a, with one of these on the, the top. Why? Because we're commanded to go into all of the world and tell people about Jesus. And this is just a really easy way to go. Now, we want people to put their faith and trust in Christ as Savior. We want everybody to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and He has died for their sins. And that if they put their faith and trust in Him, they can be saved or born again. We want everybody to know that. We want to win people to Jesus Christ. After they've done that, we want to show them how to be a committed follower of Christ. And if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, that means He's the Master then you do what he says, and the first thing he's commanded you to do is to be baptized, to show everybody that you're a committed follower of his. And that's why on December the 5th, that's next Sunday, after the 10 o'clock service, we'll head over to Alamona Beach Park. Right now we have four people that are going to be baptized. We can add to that at any point should you choose to be baptized. But we baptize as a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that everybody that watches that goes, Oh, those guys must be Christians because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. And then you know what else we do? We teach people the Bible. Jesus is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So we as a church, we teach and preach Jesus. Sunday mornings, we preach Jesus. Sunday nights, we're going through the book of James. You know what we do? We preach and teach Jesus. Wednesday nights, we have small groups to help you to learn about the Bible more. We have our discipleship program that teaches you how to be a committed follower of Jesus. All of that is fulfilling the great commission. That's the mission of the church. The problem comes as when, I'll use in air quotes the word, churches decide that they don't like that mission any longer. Let's adopt a different mission. Let's adopt the mission of clean drinking water for every child in this village uh, in Botswana. Okay, that's probably a noble cause, but that's not the job of the church. There's a lot of really good nonprofit organizations. If you feel strongly about that, you should jump in with them to get clean drinking water in that village in Botswana. That would be a good thing. Nobody's going to say that's a bad thing at all, but that's not the mission of the church. Well, the, the mission of the church is to end human trafficking uh, in America. I believe that human trafficking is a serious issue, and it's fueled by prostitution and pornography. I hate it with every fiber of my being. Hawaii is not immune from that either. 
being located, essentially located where we are between uh, Asia and the mainland United States. Uh, Hawaii is a, a prominent place for sex trafficking. You may or may not know that. I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. But the mission of the church is not to stop human trafficking, sex trafficking. That's not our job. Again, we want to partner together with nonprofits that do that. I highly encourage you to do that, but that's not the mission of the church. Uh, there's a really well-meaning family several years ago that came that wanted to, uh, the church to adopt the mission of ending homelessness in Hawaii. Sorry, not our job. There's government organizations that have poured millions of dollars into this. This is not our responsibility. The job of the church is to, to end racial tensions in America. Not the job of the church. And you might listen to that and go, wow, you're really flipping about all these things that really matter. I'm not flipping about it at all. I'm just saying that our job is the gospel to tell people that Jesus died for sinners. And you know what the gospel does? The gospel fixes the sinful heart. Okay? Stay with me for a second because I'm going somewhere with this. The gospel fixes the sinful heart. And if you make a priority of the gospel the way that Jesus commanded us to, you know the funny thing about that is, is the racist heart then begins to crumble under the weight of God's grace, his forgiveness, and his love. And God changes people from the inside out. He doesn't just get people to hold up a sign on a Saturday afternoon for a couple of hours and get people to honk. He changes the heart. You know what the gospel does? It, it changes the heart of the man who seeks out prostitution and pornography. And it fixes the heart so that the heart no longer craves those things. And then there's no market for that because God has changed the sinful heart. That we, motivated by our love for Jesus and our love for the gospel, want to go to villages in Botswana. I don't even know if that's a real thing. I'm just pulling that off the top of my head. And I can say, hey, I want this village in Botswana to know about Jesus. And we're going to dig wells and get them clean drinking water as an opportunity to share Jesus. That's going to get our foot in the door, but we really, at the end of the day, don't care about drinking water. We just care more about Jesus. Does that make sense? That if the gospel is the central focus of the church, everything else works itself out. That's why we can't look at the exterior symptoms of the problem. We've got to look at a root, root problem, and the root problem is our sinful condition, and the root answer for that is always Jesus. And so it's our mission as the church to take the gospel to the world. It's, our, it's our, our responsibility. And you might be like me and you think to yourself, well, like to the whole world? Yeah, to the whole world. Well, that's a pretty big job, isn't it? It is. With seven, closing in on seven and a half billion people on planet Earth, conservative estimates say that half the world's population has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. That means we got our work cut out for us. And I used to think, if, if, if you're like me, you thought, like, I can't fathom every person on planet Earth knowing about this. Like, how long would that take? But here's what I realized over the last, I don't know, 18 months or so. That within probably three to six months, the entire world knew, wear a mask, wash your hands, stay home if you feel sick, and if you get sick, Stay at home for 14 days and wait it out. The whole world knows. You go anywhere. Kids know. Three-year-olds know, I can't go in this store if I don't put my mask on, so I forgot my mask at home. Three-year-olds know that. How did the entire world find this out in three to six months? How did the word get passed so quickly? Because somebody decided that this was a super important message, and they put all their resources behind helping everybody hear it. I thought to myself, would to God that Christians were so passionate about Jesus that everywhere you went, everybody already knew because somebody had told them. Would to God that Christians were so passionate about Jesus that they were so enamored with Christ that everybody knew. And so this is a totally doable job. And let me just tell you this, if every Christian would share their faith where they live, we frankly wouldn't need missionaries. We frankly wouldn't need to, to share our faith because people are already doing it. We can reach this world for Christ if we get our priorities straight. I truly believe that wholeheartedly. But it comes down to 
if we're going to go to the world and we're going to share the gospel, we need to make sure that we're all singing from the same songbook. We need to make sure that we all have the same message. And here's the message of the gospel. And if you get nothing from today's message, clue into this part that I'm getting ready to say here because it's the most important thing you'll ever hear in your entire life. God loves you, but you've broken his law. You have sinned against God. I have sinned against God. That makes us sinners. We've broken God's commandments, not once or twice, but at every turn, every opportunity we get because we are sinners and we can't change that on our own. I've broken God's law, but the problem with breaking the law is there's always consequences. Whether you get a parking ticket, a speeding ticket, or whether you, you knock over a liquor store, there's consequences to bad behavior. And God's consequences when you've sinned against him for every person, for every offense, get this, is death and hell. That's what we deserve. Now you might be thinking, well, I've done some bad stuff, but it doesn't deserve that. No, if you've, the Bible says if any man offended in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. Whether you're a little sinner or a big sinner or a medium-sized sinner, it doesn't matter. You've sinned against God and you've broken his law, you deserve to go to hell. Now, every person on planet Earth deserves God's punishment. Let's get that clear. I don't like that, and you probably don't either. But here's the good news, is... Jesus Christ died for sinners. Well, who's the sinners? Me. That's me. Who's the sinners? That's you. Jesus died for us. The Bible says, this is a beautiful verse, that he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But here's the, the, the big idea. Jesus took all of our sins and he took up upon, upon himself. And while I was supposed to die, Jesus died in my place. While I was supposed to be punished, Jesus was punished for me. While I was supposed to endure the wrath of God, Jesus did all of that in my place. But here's the thing. You've got to make that decision for yourself. I can't apply Jesus' forgiveness to your account. You've got to do that yourself. There's no church in the world that can save you from your sins. Only Jesus can save you. And there's only two things that he needs from you. Two, that's it. Faith, you have to believe it to be so. Secondly, repentance. You have to believe that your sin has separated you from God and you have to be willing to ask for God's forgiveness for your sin and turn from it. It's the only way that you can be saved. So, being saved, having your sins forgiven, is not a matter of joining a church. It's not a matter of being baptized. It's not a matter of doing religious works. It's about believing in your heart. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he has died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking God to forgive me and save me from my sins. If you would do that, friend, you could be born again just like that. No class, no religious works. No coming forward, no standing up in front of the church and, and telling a story. Faith and repentance is all God needs from you to be saved. But here's the thing, that's called the gospel. Jesus died in place of sinners. Anyone who would put their faith in him can be saved. And friend, if that's you today, put your faith in Jesus today. But here's the thing, we need to make that message heard far and wide across the world that Jesus died for sinners. And while you and I might think to ourselves like, wow, the gospel, how do we do that? How do we get it to the whole world? Here's what Jesus tells us to do. Start locally and take it globally. So we start locally and then we reach out globally. Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse number 8, right before he ascends into heaven, gives final instructions. It's interesting sometimes in, in, in life we sometimes think of people's last words that they say. Here's Jesus' last words. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Wait right here. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to give you power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And as Jesus outlines the Great Commission, again, repeat, repeats it for the fifth time in Scripture, we find really kind of the plan of attack. First of all, 
You're going to be witnesses. And you know what witnesses do? They just tell what they've seen. That's all. It's not the witness's job to convince someone or to really kind of uh, put the screws to somebody or something like that. Hey, here's what happened to me. And so you and I are called to be witnesses where? First in Jerusalem, he says. Now, he's not telling all of us to pack up and go to Jerusalem because that's the, the first city to start in, like it's a treasure hunt. But he's telling them, hey, you're going to start in Jerusalem. Why? Because that's your hometown. You're going to start where you're at first. Then from there, you're going to go to Judea. Judea is kind of the surrounding counties. If you want to bring this home for us, it would be like, hey, start in Honolulu in the middle of the city and then fan out from there to the city and county of Honolulu, which includes the island of Oahu. And begin to fan out from there. So we start locally and then we begin to spread out from where we are. Next, he says, go to Samaria. This was, I can only imagine people are like, did he say Samaria? I think he just said Samaria. Samaria was a place where Jews didn't go. Even when Jesus in John chapter 4, when he sat down with the woman at the well, he says, I need to go through Samaria. And they're like, did he just say Samaria? And he went and sat down at the well and began to talk with the woman. And she says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. We don't talk to each other. There was a lot of racial tension. Uh, the Samaritans were part Jew, but they're part Gentile. And so they weren't fully Jew, but then they weren't fully non-Jew. And so they're kind of like a mix where nobody really wanted to touch them. And they were considered outcasts almost in society. That's why Jesus' parable of the, great, uh, the, the Good Samaritan was such a, a big deal. Because here was this guy who was a racial outcast, who was the one who actually loved and cared for people, and he was the neighbor to those when all the other Jews didn't want anything to do with him. And again, we go, you want to dig deeper into this, Jesus talked about racial reconciliation, but it was always through the gospel, 100% of the time. And so Samaritans didn't appreciate Jews coming into Samaria, and Jews, did, frankly, didn't like going there either. And so when Jesus says, I want you to take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, and then I want you to go to Samaria too, he's saying, I want you to take the gospel in places where you might not be welcome. Places where people might not uh, throw a party when you, when you show up. And I can only imagine for them, like, okay, Samaria. Let me just tell you this, that for Everything that we have as the Aloha State, and I believe Hawaii is one of the greatest places in the United States, despite all the problems that we have, please understand that racism is alive and well in our city and our community. We might have a thin veneer of Aloha for everybody, but deep down inside, there's a lot of racial tension. So what does that cause us to do? Just love people like Jesus did. Just continue to share the gospel, tell people about Jesus, invite people to church. Let me tell you, there's no racial tension in this church, that's for sure. And if I find out about it, I'll fix it or you'll leave. Those are your only options. Because this is a place of, of love and acceptance. Because the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek, but we're all one in Christ. And so we're going to take the gospel in places where we might not be welcome. There's neighborhoods on this, uh, this island that people told me you probably shouldn't go there after dark. Hey, guess what? If I'm going in the name of Jesus, I'll go wherever I need to go. But I'm not going to say, well, those people are too rough or that area is too bad. They don't need Jesus. I was talking last week with uh, Darren and Annalise Patrick, our missionaries to our new, mission, our new missionaries to uh, Nigeria. And I was talking with them, and um, if you got a chance to watch the video on the Hui Call app, you'll be able to, to watch the, the whole conversation that we had. But uh, Darren's kind of a, a light-skinned uh, African-American guy, and so he fits in a little bit in Nigeria. But but Annalise is like whiter than sour cream. I mean, she's like white, white. And I said, "What was it like for you transitioning to Nigeria?" She said, "Well, first of all, you don't see white people. Second of all, you don't see Americans." And so for people to see a white American female, she was like, everywhere I went, people would just like stop what they're doing and stare and point. And she was, it was really kind of awkward. Do you think that deterred them from the work that God's called them to do in Nigeria? No, it's just awkward. I guess we'll get past it. And she said, but then what we found when, when you get to know people and, you, and people see that you really care about them, that's really all that matters. Uh, the Love Grows, uh, who we'll hear from uh, today, uh, a brief testimony. Again, if you go to the Who We Call it app, you can listen to. I talked to Love Grows for about uh, almost 45 minutes yesterday had a great conversation with them, our missionaries to uh, Ethiopia. And uh, they began to tell us about, in Ethiopia right now, there's a very anti-American sentiment. Uh, and that, again, they don't like foreigners there, first of all, but the Americans, they really don't like right now. I read a, a news article this past week. Uh, there's a lot of civil war right now, and they had to, to, to leave the country for a little bit. And tr they're trying to get back. 
But the, uh, the Ethiopian government basically said, We're, Americans are not welcome here. We don't want you here. You need to mind your own business and stay out of what we got going on and stuff like that. And so he said, it's really hard, but man, that's where our heart's at. We, we got to get back there. And so, but here's the thing. They didn't go where it was easy. They went where God called them to go. And so Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, everywhere else. And I think it's kind of a fun fact. You might not think it's fun. But when Jesus stood in Jerusalem and right before he ascended and he gave the Great Commission, he says, I want you to go to the furthest place on the planet that you can go. Do you happen to know the furthest place from Jerusalem that's actually a, a largely populated area? Do you want to take a guess where that's at? Right where we're at today. Isn't that interesting? That Honolulu is the most populated place as far from Jerusalem as you can possibly get. Fascinating that we happen to be in the uttermost parts of the earth. How about that? Love it. Fun fact. So that, well, that means we can just stay where we're at. No, we're supposed to continue to go, right? Keep going. And so that's the idea of the gospel. Now, when it comes to personal evangelism, where I'm, whether I'm sharing my faith with a coworker or whether I'm going as a missionary to Africa, personal evangelism and world evangelism really comes down to either obedience or disobedience. It's not a matter of if we should share our faith. It's not a matter of if we should tell people about Jesus. It's not a matter of if we should send people to other countries to tell them about Jesus. It's a matter of are you going to or not. And let me tell you this. I'm not trying to be mean or unkind. But if, if we as Christians can be comfortable with the fact that people we know are going to die and go to hell and we didn't bother to warn them, we need to check our heart and make sure that we're okay. I remember growing up in a church, uh, Southern Baptist Church, I never saw an adult ever get baptized. I never heard of an adult being saved. I never heard of anybody sharing their faith with a coworker or anything like that. The only people who ever got saved in the church that I grew up in was kids. I'd never seen an adult baptized until I was in my mid-20s. Because I was never a part of a church that was serious about the gospel and evangel evangelization. We would, we would pool our money, uh, our missions money, and they would give it through the Southern Baptist Convention. We never knew who it went to or how it went or what was going on out there. We just knew that it was hopefully getting done. We paid our pastor a salary, and so it was his job to tell people about Jesus and kind of washed our hands of, of our responsibility. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is for every Christian, and either we're going to obey or we're going to disobey. And here's the fact, again, churches that sit and sing songs like, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And when we all get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that shall be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And we can sing songs like that while people are dying and going to hell 50 yards from the front door of our church and not feel bad about it. Friend, that's the height of arrogance and pride. I'm glad I'm going to heaven. I don't care that the rest of the world's going to burn, but at least I got my ticket punched. Shame on you. Shame on me. We're not going to have that type of attitude. We're going to live life and look at people the way that Jesus looked at people. Like, this is a soul in need of Jesus, and I'm going to do my dead level best to help them to know the Jesus that I know with every fiber of my being. I'm going to do that by living a life that mirrors the life of Christ by living godly, holy, righteous, and by actually telling people of their need for Jesus. Turn if you would over to Romans chapter 10. I want you to see this. It's, it might be in your notes if you downloaded the notes or you have the app, but I want you to look at this in your Bible, Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, 9, and 10 are two verses you should have circled, starred, underlined in your Bible. You should highlight these verses. They're super important because Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says, If you shall confess your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now tell somebody how to get saved. They have to believe in their heart, faith. They have to confess with their mouth, repentance, and then they can be saved. Beautiful verses. Well, who could be saved? Take a look at verse number 13. For whosoever 
shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be safe. Well, you don't know what I've done. Frankly, I don't care what you've done. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's like it never happened. You're saved. You're forgiven. You get a new start, a brand new beginning, because Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. But it doesn't stop there. We like to quote that verse, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever is called upon the Lord shall be saved. Amen. But it goes on. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, how can they call on the Lord if they haven't put their faith in him? The answer to that is they can't. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? The answer is, well, they can't. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And the word preacher there doesn't mean a, a pastor. It means one who declares the truth. And that applies to every Christian. Verse number 15, how shall they preach except they be sent? So anybody who puts their faith in Jesus can be saved. And to that we would say, amen. But then the question is, how are they going to call on somebody that they don't even know about? Well, they can't. How can they know about him unless somebody tells them? Well, they can't. How can people go and tell them unless somebody actually tells them to go and tell them? Well, they can't. So here we see our responsibility with the gospel. I think all of us would say, oh, this world needs more Jesus. Yes. Man, my coworkers need Jesus. Yes. Okay, who's going to tell them? I don't know. If only God would send somebody, like a real Christian, who would cross their path and tell them about Jesus. Imagine that. And here's the thing. Romans 10 says, how shall there be preachers unless somebody tells them to go out and preach? So friend, take this as your official deputization to go out and preach the gospel. That's our job. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to do that every single day until Jesus returns or takes us home. That's it. That's why the church exists. The church doesn't exist for softball leagues and sewing circles and for people to get together and trade recipes and uh, to have church potlucks. The church doesn't exist for any of that. It exists for the propagation of the gospel to the world. Now, part of that is community, and I'm not against community. Uh, us guys got together and played basketball a few weeks ago. I'm still sore from that. <laughs> That's fine to have fellowship as part of community, but please don't ever think that basketball leagues are part of a church. The gospel is a part of the church, and we exist for the propagation of the gospel to the world. And so we have to view everything through that lens, through that perspective. So when we talk about reaching the world, three ways that we all individually, personally, can reach the world with the gospel. The very first thing that we can do is pray. Everybody can pray. Did you know if you read through all the Gospels that Jesus only makes one prayer request? Paul oftentimes will say, hey, brethren, pray for us. We got this opportunity. Hey, brethren, pray for us. Uh, we got this thing coming up. Paul will ask people to pray for him, but Jesus only asks one time for us to pray. Interesting. Here's what Jesus says. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. <laughs> Pray that God would send people to actually get the work done. So, we should pray that God would send Christians to share Jesus. Now again, I'm not going to pray that at my workplace God would send people to, to share Jesus. I'm going to pray that God would use me to share Jesus at my workplace. I might pray that other Christians would come alongside me. And here's what I have found. <laughs> Interesting that generally in most places, if one person will stand up and actually be a real Christian, other marginal Christians will generally come out of the woodwork. Like, where are these people? You've been a Christian all this time, but like, I never knew that. It usually just takes one person to stand up and say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I don't care who knows you. I'm thankful for men in our church that are in positions of leadership and authority who have a faithful Christian witness in their workplace. Man, if you've got a Christian boss, praise God for that. Encourage uh, your boss. Tell him that you're praying for him. Tell him what it means to have a Christian who really walks the walk and talks the talk. It's a gift. But here's the thing. We need laborers in the harvest. Pray that God would send people. Pray for those around the world that are sharing Jesus. Again, that card that I have, I hope you put it in your prayer journal in the back of your Bible or on the fridge and pray for our missionaries that we support. Pray for other missionaries that you know that are around the world getting the gospel out. 
the Lovegrove family in, in Ethiopia had to leave two weeks ago because the U.S. Embassy said, you either leave now or you will not get evacuated. So everything goes down. There's a civil war right now that's taking place. Uh, the rebels were in the north part of the country. They're coming south towards the capital city where the Lovegroves are. They're coming right down the main highway that they live on. And he said, we were talking to some, some people who know stuff. They said, probably best that you get out. And again, the things that the, the Ethiopian government has said about the Americans in the last week that I, I just saw them scrolling news feeds. Not good. And so he says, we're, we're getting out. And he said, we're hoping to go back the middle of December. And I was look. I just began to read, skim news articles reading about Ethiopia because I didn't know a lot about it. And I was just like, I think that might be a little optimistic. And he said, Pastor, we just got to get there. That's, those are our people. That's our family. That's our church. Like, people need Jesus there. Our, our kids, that's where their school is, where their friends are. Like, we don't have any home but Ethiopia. And so pray for folks that, that are around the world really trying to get the gospel out. They're facing opposition. Uh, you know, I talked to uh, the Patricks last week about their, uh, the reception of, of the gospel in Nigeria. They said, you know, a lot of people are eager to talk about Jesus and eager to talk about the gospel. And they had a, a lot of success in sharing Jesus just the first few months there. Asked Josh about the Ethiopia. He said, we have people who will tear up gospel tracts in our face. He said, we have one of our men that went out by himself, got punched in the face by a Muslim man. We tried to share uh, the gospel with him, broke two of his teeth. And he said, so now we go out in groups. <laughs> That's probably wise. D- did you hear that? One of our men got punched in the teeth and broke out his, his teeth. And so now we go out in groups. <laughs> As opposed to like, we just don't go out anymore because we might get, no. We're willing to suffer harm for the sake of the gospel. You should check out The Voice of the Martyrs. It's a, it's, I think it's a radio program. They got a blog now and stuff like that. I think it might even have an email. But it basically talks about people who are trying to do their best around the, the world that are facing real deal opposition. You know, you and I think that if we didn't get invited to, to somebody's party that we're facing opposition as a Christian, come on. But we need to pray for people who are willing to put themselves out there for the sake of the gospel. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 3, with all praying for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. But not only pray for missionaries around the world that are preaching Jesus, but also pray for opportunities to share your faith. You know, I have found that when I pray for opportunities to share my faith, God generally gives me opportunities to share my faith. Isn't it interesting how that works? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're praying for God to provide for you financially, and man, you're just begging God that he would provide and provide and provide, and then you go to the mailbox and you open up a, an envelope, and it's a, maybe a rebate check from when you overpaid on your car insurance, and you're just like, where in the world did this come? God's good. You're just like having a, a worship fest at the mailbox. Have you ever been there before? I have. Like, that is so God. I was just praying this morning, and then there's been other times that I confess that I wasn't praying for anything, and the check shows up, and it's just like, who overpays on their car insurance? That's crazy. And you toss it to the side. What's the difference? One of them, you're really praying and expecting God to do something. And the other one, you're just kind of casually going through life, oblivious of the fact of what God's actually doing in your life. And I have found when I pray for opportunities to share my faith, God gives me opportunities to share my faith. So pray that God would put you in the way of somebody today that needs Jesus. Simple as that. And then be on the lookout. <laughs> Maybe this is the person I'm supposed to talk to today. I mean, this is a person I'm supposed to encourage today. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be or who I'm supposed to be. I'm just going to be nice to everybody. I don't just have a, a, a pocket full of gospel tracts. I'm just going to invite everybody I know today because I don't know if they're the one that God put in my path. All of us can, get, can pray. But let's just be honest. Prayer isn't a great sacrifice. You would probably agree with that, right? I can pray walking down the street. I can pray while I'm getting my hair cut. I can pray while I'm driving to work. I can pray anytime. I can get up in the morning and pray. I can pray while I'm, while I'm going for a run. It doesn't require a great sacrifice from me. If you know anything about the Christian life, it's all about sacrifice, isn't it? So the second thing that we can do to help the gospel go around the world is we can give. Last week we took a look at tithing and how tithing helps us to pay our bills here so that we can fulfill the mission that God's given us of reaching our city for the gospel. If you have that commitment card, I want you to take a look at that. I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider what God would use you to do to help us get the gospel around the world as a church, collectively. Again, we currently support four missions projects. We're hoping to double that by the end of the year. How will we do that? By the giving of our church family. 
And so I'd ask you to consider either your monthly giving, your yearly giving, or maybe you just want to give a one-time gift uh, to, to missions. But basically what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at these cards that get turned in today. Now notice there's nowhere here for you to sign your name. There's nowhere to put your email address or cell phone number. We're not going to contact you and make sure that you're doing this. We're not tracking it uh, along with your account to make sure that you're doing what you said you were going to do. This is just all on the honor system between you and the Lord, making a commitment to say, hey, I want the gospel to go further and I want to give to be a part of that. And so for Angela and I, we give weekly. We give our tithes and offerings. We give to missions every week, and we give uh, to our building fund as a church every single week of the world. That's what we do. We're this year, we're going to take our missions giving, we're going to take it one step up. Why? Because we want to double the number of missionaries that we can get through our church. And so if we're going to do more as a church, then I need to do more as a part of the body of Christ. And so we're going to evaluate our budget and find out how far we can stretch to give so that the gospel can go further. And when you're done, here's what you do. You fill out the top part, turn that in the offering basket, rip off the bottom part, keep that for yourself. This helps you to, to budget. That's it. And you can turn this card in when you leave. Here's the thing. If you don't want to give anything, don't give a dollar. It doesn't matter to me. But I believe we have a privilege and an obligation to be involved in getting the gospel around the world. So we give regularly through our tithes and offerings. To reach our city, there's a place on your commitment card here. I've committed to begin tithing. If you're not currently tithing, that's the way we keep the lights on here. Most of you would probably be frustrated if the AC wasn't on today and we had to sit in here and sweat. You'd be like, I hope it's almost over. Most of you would probably be frustrated if I didn't have a sound system. I had to shout. You're like, I can't hear. It's hot. How do we pay the bills? How do we keep the lights on? By the tithes and offerings of God's people. Have you ever stopped to think to yourself what it costs to rent a building that's 7,000 square feet that's about 100 yards from Alamoana Center in the middle of Honolulu? Have you ever looked at the price of commercial real estate in the city of Honolulu? How does a church pay for that? The tithes and offerings of God's people. Have you ever thought about how much it costs for us to provide discipleship materials for every single person who wants to be discipled at no cost to them? It's done through the tithes and offerings of God's people. Have you ever thought about how we print gospel tracts, how we do other things for our community through the tithes and offerings of God's people? Simple as that. That's how we do it. So our giving helps us to reach our city for the gospel. We do that through the tithes and offerings. But we get the privilege to go above and beyond that by giving regularly through our church to support global missions works. And so we get the opportunity to give through our church to support other missions projects around the world. And again, we currently support four. We're hoping to double that to eight by the end of next year. How will we know whether or not we can financially do that? By the cards that get turned in today. We might be able to take on four missionaries next month. I don't know. But I'm praying that God would allow us to do more for the sake of the gospel around the world. I'm praying that God would allow us to be more involved in these lives of these missionaries, to send them letters and messages to let them know that we're thinking of them and praying for them and to encourage them in that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 4, you gave beyond your power, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Paul says to the, the churches of Macedonia, hey, they gave, not because they were super rich, they were actually super broke, but they gave because they said, Paul, would you take the gospel somewhere else with you? Hey, look, you and I this week can't be in Nigeria, but we can, can send some funds to help people preach the gospel in Nigeria. Hey, you and I can't be in Ethiopia this week, and believe it or not, the Love Groves can't be in Ethiopia this week either, but the work that they started and the work that they have funded through the giving of God's people now has a church there, and he says, Pastor, we're not there, but people are still coming to church. People are still hearing about Jesus. We still have first-time guests that are coming. We still have people that are being helped because the gospel work goes on in our absence. Praise God, we get to be a part of that? Sign me up for that. Again, you have a church that's growing, it's running out of space, that needs chairs. We can buy chairs. That's awesome. Sign me up. And to think that like a, a single mom is going to sit and hear an encouragement from the Bible in a chair that I got to buy. <laughs> Where? In Ethiopia. What? Some Ethiopian man is going to come and be saved, and then he's going to start teaching his kids at night to pray before they go to bed in a chair that I helped buy. Please sign me up for that. The, the gospel can go further in Papua New Guinea. We can build churches in the bush where it takes 18 hours to get 
on a four-wheeler, and people out in the middle of nowhere are singing praises to Jesus because I got to be a part of that? I want to do more. <laughs> I haven't done enough. I want to do more, and we are able to do that through our giving. But not only that, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 of the churches of Macedonia that first they gave of their own selves. And so I want to encourage you to give of yourself to support and encourage the work of global missions projects. I'm hoping once all this craziness and travel and stuff clears up that we as a church can take a missions trip. We've never taken a missions trip to another country before. That we can actually go and sit with missionaries and hear their stories and meet their people and see the church building that they worship in. And we can actually see the difference that the gospel makes around the world. I remember sitting in, in the middle of nowhere in a, in a house with no electricity, no running water in the middle of Malaysia, in the middle of a forest with the Orang Asli people. They're just singing praises to Jesus. One of the guys has got a guitar and he's, he's playing. Everybody else is there singing praises to Jesus. I don't have a slightest idea what they're singing. But just to see the joy on their face. And I was able to preach to them. The interpreter, as he's preaching, I'm hearing the word of God hit these people's hearts and seeing their, their faces light up. Like, what? Like, what we have of the gospel we get to share? We should greatly desire to be a part of that. And so I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to give. And as we go through these, they, it requires a little bit more sacrifice. Some of you, there's people in our church that could write a check today for $1,000 and not miss it. There's other people in our church that could write a check for $10 and it might bounce. And so some, some people giving might be a sacrifice. Other people might be able to give and, and never actually miss it. But here's the thing. The last one I'm going to encourage you with, pray, give. This one requires massive sacrifice of all of us. Go. You want to get the gospel around the world, pray, give, go. So first and foremost, be willing to go as a missionary to your city, your street, your workplace, and your family. I'm going to go, first of all, to the people that, that I know, the place that God's put me. Some of you aren't from Honolulu. Maybe Uncle Sam has paid for you to be transferred here as a missionary. What a gift. While you're here, he's going to take care of all your uh, food, room, board. And he's going to give you the opportunity to be able to be a missionary in Hawaii for two years, three years, or ever how long you can be here. What a gift. Steward it wisely. But you get to be a missionary. You get to go and declare the gospel. You get to go and tell people about Jesus. You get to go to your workplace and be a real deal Christian that people can look at and go, oh, this is how Christians act. Got it. Hey, my grandmother's having surgery. Would you mind praying for her? Man, uh, people might not like your faith, but they cannot argue with the power of the hand of God on your life. Can't. And so I'd encourage you, go as a missionary to wherever God has placed you because missions always begins at home. I always tell people this, God's never going to call you to be a missionary to Africa. God's never going to call you to be a missionary to the Philippines if you're not being a missionary here in Honolulu first. I remember we were out on outreach one time. I was up in some apartments up on P.E. Coy Street on the left-hand side. Knocked on the door, was talking to a guy there for a while, and um, you know, I told him I, I was a pastor of Hui Kala Baptist Church, and he was like, oh, I'm actually studying to be a pastor right now. No way. So he was telling me he was in theological seminary. He was telling me about the classes he was taking. We were discussing, you know, how school was going, stuff like that. And I said, um, I said hey, uh, what church do you go to right now? He was like, oh, I don't go to church. Oh, I thought you said you were studying to be a pastor. Yeah, I am. He goes, public speaking is kind of my thing, and so, you know, you just got to go with what your strengths are, and so just kind of focus in more on that. But you don't go to church anywhere? No, nah, I'm not really a big church guy. <laughs> do you understand what it means to pastor? Like, do you even get it? And, and I, I, in that split second, I realized, this guy doesn't even have a clue as to what it means to be a pastor. Being a pastor is not a preacher. That's two different things. The word pastor means shepherd, to guide people. And if you're not a big church guy, then you're never going to have people to guide and shepherd. And, and it's absolute craziness. Here's the thing. God doesn't call you to do full-time what you're not doing part-time. If you're not being a missionary here in Honolulu, why would you be a good missionary in China? Right? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. So I always encourage people, be faithful where you are because missions always starts at home. Next 
be surrendered and submitted to drop everything and answer the call of God to take the gospel elsewhere. If God called you to be a missionary to Africa, would you go? If God asked you to go to Thailand, which is like 98% Buddhist, would you be willing to drop everything and go? I hope that you would. I had the opportunity yesterday to talk to the the Love Grows. Uh, we'll hear uh, a brief uh, video from them here in just a moment. You can listen to the whole thing uh, live at, uh, or the recorded version at the, through the Hui Kala app. You know, the interesting thing is, uh, if you hear Josh's story, he was a missionary kid there originally as a, as a teenager. Uh, if you hear Ruth's story, Ruth got saved when she was 24. Uh, she didn't grow up thinking she was going to be a missionary her whole life, uh, but God placed her and prepared her for that. And so we sometimes think of missionaries as, as get made a missionary factory somewhere, like, I could never do that. And so I want to challenge you with this thought this morning, that as we give, we give to help the gospel go around the world to places that we are not currently at. And I want to be careful with the phraseology I use because it's not places that we can't go. Anybody in this room, at whatever point you, God called you, could be a missionary to Nigeria, Ethiopia, Papua New Guinea, the Philippines. If God called you and you were willing to go, every single person in this room without fail could go. And you might think, well, well I couldn't because of X, Y, or Z. If God calls you, I would challenge you with this, that you could go. That God would provide, God would meet every single need that you have. And that's why I want to challenge you with the thought of as we look at going, I want to encourage you to stay yielded and live simply to pre begin preparations to live a mission-minded life. What, is that? what do I mean by that? I mean this. I want you to live your life in such a way that if God called you to take the gospel to somewhere else in the world, that you could go. For Angela and I, when we, uh, about 15 years ago, we decided that we really wanted to serve the Lord with our life what that looked like. We basically made a budget to pay off all of our debt that we have. We didn't have a car payment. We didn't have any uh, type of credit card debt or anything like that. So that if God called us to do something, we could drop everything that we had and go. And guess what? God did. And when he called us, we had zero dollars in credit card debt. We didn't have a car payment that we had. We didn't have any student loans we had to pay off. We didn't have anything. We had money saved up into savings so that we could live off of that if we needed to. And no lie, when we got here to Honolulu, we exhausted our entire life savings for the sole purpose of having our very first service on our grand opening service. We didn't have a dollar to our name after that day, like all exhausted. But here's the thing, God prepared us for that moment so that we would be ready. And so I want to challenge you, Lo hold very loosely the things of this world because it's all going to burn anyways. And second of all, if God tells you to drop it, be willing to drop it at the drop of a hat. Because pursuing Christ is so much greater. That's why I love the song that we heard this morning that we're going to sing next week. That my heart has found its greatest treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. And I want to encourage you to live that way. And here's the thing. For me, when I live simply, when I budget my life nimbly, I can give to a missions project. I can give $1,000 towards a mission project. I can give to help somebody uh, in need. I can give to one of our single moms who has a financial need. I can give to people who need it because I'm not laden down with the cares of this world. And so I want to challenge you to live that way. There's a great book that we have in the back. Um, I, this book is one of the best books I've read probably in the last five years. It's called Outsiders. It's written by my pastor in California. It's a story of 15 people whose lives changed the world. Outside of the Bible, post-biblical time, 15 people whose lives shaped the way that you and I live as Christians today. Uh, I think we paid $10 for these books. They're available today for $5. That's how badly I want you to read this, that I'm willing to pay half the cost of this book. Because it's basically people who said, I believe that God's good to his word. I believe that God's words are true, his promises are true, and I'm willing to live my life in such a way that God gets glory from it. I want to encourage you, pick up a copy of that book. It'll be one of the best books you've ever read. I promise you that. But here's the thing. Four final thoughts and we're done. First of all, world evangelization, getting the gospel to every creature is just simply about obedience. If every Christian shared their faith, we wouldn't have to send missionaries places. It would just automatically be getting done. If people weren't steeped in false religion, world evangelism would be cake. But it really comes down to obedience. And again, it's easy to think about like, oh, I'll give an extra $10 a month so that somebody in, in the Philippines can get the gospel out or somebody in Cambodia can preach the gospel or someone somewhere else can do this or that. It's a lot more difficult to say, hey, I'm going to 
live a consistently Christian life this week at work so that I can share Jesus with my coworker. I'm going to focus on being a, a missionary to my workplace this week. I'm going to live my life in such a way that draws people to Christ. But that really just comes down to being an obedient Christian. World evangelization is about the glory of God. It's really about making people know how great Jesus is. It's about exalting Christ so that if you look at my life, Christ is magnified in my life and Christ will be much more magnified in my death. That's what Paul says, Philippians chapter 1. World evangelization is just about making the glory of God known unto all mankind and the, the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. World evangelization is about our love for our fellow man. It's about loving people enough to tell them the truth. I remember uh, my son Thatcher when he was in the uh, teen group in our church in California that we were at. They were teaching the kids on Wednesday nights how to share their faith. He was a, I don't know, probably 13 years old or so. He was in, in junior high. And they were teaching them on Wednesday nights how to share their faith and how to strike up a conversation with somebody and share the gospel with them and things like that. And so we'd gone on a, a, a trip. I can't for the life of me remember where it was, but we were on a small plane. It was a short flight, like 40 minutes or so. And there's basically uh, two rows of, of, of seats at each window, two seats at each window, uh, four seats across, split by an aisle. And so we were sitting in the back, and Thatcher was sitting up front. We, he wasn't sitting with us, but we could see him. And so another man sits down beside him, and him and Thatcher just start talking right away. And it's just like, wow, that was neat. And so we're talking the whole way. And so, you know, as they get off the plane, and I said, hey, Thatcher, did you make a friend on the, the plane? He goes, well, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but we talked. I said, oh, that's cool. What did you guys talk about? He said, I just told him about Jesus. I go, well, that's cool. I said, how'd you start the conversation? He said, well, he put his stuff in the overhead bin. He sat down. And he hadn't even buckled the seatbelt yet. And I said, if this plane goes down, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? <laughs> you didn't like lead in like, hey, my name's Thatcher. What's your name? No. I just went, was I supposed to? Yeah, they, they didn't get to that part yet. Uh, you're supposed to kind of ease into the conversation. Well, I didn't. I just asked him. And he, I, I said, well, what did he say? And he said, well, he thought so. And I said, would you like to know how you can know for sure? And uh, he asked me what church I went to, and I told him. And, and um, he told me that he went to, uh, asked him, I said, do you go to church anywhere? He says, I do. And he said, what church do you go to? And the guy said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he said, I told him, you're not Christian, you're in a cult. <laughs> Mm. son i appreciate the enthusiasm and the passion but you need to learn tact okay uh, but I, I love what he lacked in tact he made up for in passion and excitement but uh he did not make a friend on that flight that's a fact <laughs> but but here's the thing that i loved about him he cared about people well dad i just thought to myself if this guy dies and goes to hell i would at least want him to know about jesus first i love that spirit <laughs> and so let's help you to do that in a healthy way from here on but I love this, the idea that I care about people so much that I, do, I wouldn't want anybody to go to hell. And again, anybody who can say, well, I don't care if people go to hell, you don't understand what hell is really like. To have no concern for your fellow man that doesn't know Jesus just goes to show that you don't fully understand the depths and the riches of Christ and the, the awfulness of God's wrath and punishment in hell. It's bad. And so we share Jesus because we love people that's why, again, it grieves my heart for people to say, well, Christians are judgmental, hate-filled bigots. Hate doesn't even cross my radar. I love so much. And so, again, we have to have a love for people and a love for souls, and not just a love for souls on our street, but love for souls around the world, that everyone should have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And finally, world evangelization is about having people in heaven because of you. There's a song, it was popular back in the, the 80s, and it was kind of a cute song, I guess you could say, but it was like, thank you for giving to the Lord. And it talks about a guy who died and went to heaven, and when he got to heaven, there was a line of people waiting to talk to him and said, hey, you know, you gave this, and because of that, I, I'm here, and you did this, because of that, I'm here, and the chorus was, thank you for giving to the Lord, I'm a life that was changed, and all this other stuff. And I say it's cute because this, hey, look, when we get to heaven, nobody's going to be waiting in a line to talk to me, Okay. 
You see Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're able to stand in the presence of the God of all ages. The last thing you're going to be looking at, hey, has anybody seen pastor around? I'd really like to line up and talk to him. No. And so I don't like it for that idea, but I love the idea of this, that when we're gathered in the throne room of God, worshiping the lamb that was slain, when we're crying out with Christians throughout all of world history, together with the God of all ages, that I would look across and see somebody that's there because of me. To see somebody that is there because of something that I did. Whether it was a commitment that I gave to missions, whether it was a gospel tract that I handed out, whether it was a gospel tract that I stuffed in a Christmas card that I sent out, whether it was somebody that I prayed for that I never met to think that there would be somebody with me in heaven because of something that I did. We get that opportunity. Don't waste it. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven because we're here to tell you about Jesus, that you need Jesus, and he's the only hope that you have for this life and the next. But for those of us that are Christians, let's not just take our Christianity and fold it up and put it in our back pocket like we got our, our ticket punched to heaven and we're good, we're just going to sit back and wait until it's our time. Let's live every single day that we have left making Jesus known to the uttermost parts of the earth that I'm going to pray for Christians around the world that are faithfully serving. I'm going to pray for souls to be saved. I'm going to pray for opportunities to share my faith this week. I'm going to pray for coworkers that I know that need to be saved. I'm going to pray for family members that are hard to the gospel, that they would be saved because I can't give up because the grace of God never gives up. And I think it was Amy Carmichael who says, we have all of eternity to celebrate the victories won, but only a short time to win them. Man, when we get to heaven, we can, we can relax. When we get to heaven, we can sing, when we all get to heaven, we'll already be there. But friend, until then, we got to work. Well, for how long? Until we see Jesus. Why? Because that's the mission of the church. That's what we're supposed to do. That's why we're still here. Did you ever think about this? The day that you got saved, you didn't just get immediately taken to heaven? Like, okay, work's done. You're, do you're good. No. The day that you got saved, your work began. And again, we're taking a look at in, in James uh, chapter 2, that faith without works is dead. If you got saved, legitimately saved, it's your job now, your obligation, your responsibility to let other people know about Jesus. What a gift we have, what an opportunity. Let's not miss it this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.